Pre-commit started as a framework for running linters and code formatters during Git actions via Git hooks. It's grown and expanded and now supports an extensive list of languages and actions and manual running of actions. Anthony Sotilli discusses pre-commit for using locally by developers and pre-commit CI, which can run actions during merge requests. This episode is sponsored by PyCharm and ConfigCat. ConfigCat is a feature flag service. Easily use flags in your code with ConfigCat libraries. Toggle your feature flags visually on a dashboard. Hide or expose features in your application without redeploying code. Set targeting rules to allow you to control who has access to the new features. It allows you to get features out faster, test in production, and do easy rollbacks. With ConfigCat's simple API and clear documentation, you'll have your initial proof of concept up and running in minutes. Whether you're an individual or a team, you can try it out with their forever free plan or get 25% off any paid plan with the code TESTANDCODE2021. Release features faster with less risk with ConfigCat. Check them out today at ConfigCat.com. Welcome to Testing Code. Well, let's talk about pre-commit. Sure. So the idea behind pre-commit is, well, the original idea behind pre-commit was that it was a git hooks runner, uh, but you only had to manage a small set of configuration and it would install and run all those tools for you in a bunch of different programming languages. Uh, so despite pre-commit being written in Python, it supports like eight or nine native programming languages at the moment. So you know, Python, JavaScript, Ruby, Rust, Go, you can run Docker files. It has a, a portable grep alternative. Um, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of languages and it's really easy to plug in new ones. Oh, it supports the .NET framework, uh, Corsair, which is like a Java uh, package manager, JVM package manager. It has a whole bunch of language support. And like, you know, the, 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 the big difference between other tools is Flakate will manage and install all these tools for you. So your developers don't have to worry about, oh, do I have the wrong version of Ruby? And I have, oh, I have the wrong version of this particular linter code formatter tool installed. Like, no, no, no. you don't worry about that. Precommit just manages it for you and you don't have to think about it. Okay. Um, it has, you know, spread a little bit beyond the initial Git hooks idea. You can use it without, you know, without involving Git hooks at all, just as a linter and code formatter runner. Uh, you can also use it as a CI tool, which, you know, runs your code formatters and linters and makes sure that your code stays up to date with, with your particular style. Um, because the configuration file is versioned, you can make lockstep changes to uh, your linters and code formatters. You don't have the situation where like, oh, we're changing, you know, Flake 8 to 3.9 everywhere. And, you know, everyone at your company, every repository of your company is suddenly broken because it doesn't, you know, fit the latest set of lint rules or whatever. Um, but no, you can you can change that version with the code bumps that you're making. So it, oh, it allows you to keep things, you know, in line. And so there's, there's this idea of uh, it's not, it doesn't have to be just one configuration, right? You can have like these pre-commit snippets or something. So kind of works like that. So the way that you, the way that you install tools is 
it uses Git repositories as its lowest common denominator because you can't really, you know, you can't really have higher level <laughs> representation than that. That works for every different programming language. Um, and inside each remote repository, there's a small bit of configuration which sets up sensible defaults for that tool. Uh, so for instance, the Flagate tool runs Flagate against Python files. That That is encoded in a little YAML file that sits inside Flagate's repository. And if you want to use Flagate, you just reference Flagate and a version number and the hook ID that you want to use from that. And okay. it will include that that base configuration, and then you could override it if you need it. Um, so you can override it with in inclusion or exclusion or, you know, make it run on different file types or uh, have particular command line arguments or whatever, whatever you need to do to extend that tool. Um, and so what, you, what your configuration file, what your pre-commit config tends to look like is it's a list of repositories that reference remote tools to, you know, uh, run, run all the things that you would want. There's also an escape hatch. If you don't want to reference remote repositories, you can use what's called the, the local repository. It's kind of a special, special sigil that lets you, you know, escape from the repository based installation. And there you can, uh, leverage the package managers for each project or for each, for each language. So if you wanted to use pip directly, you could set up a local hook. Um, of course, you don't get all the niceties of the, the, the default base configuration. You have to specify every bit of the configuration yourself. Um, you can also set up just like system hooks or script hooks, which either live in the repository itself or are externally managed tools. So you can, you can still have the old school, like, you know, systems team that manages your tools on your machine and upgrades those out of, out of band with your configuration. You just reference them globally using free commit. Um, okay. And, and in that case, it's mostly good for standardizing all of the edge, the weird edges around Git that, um, are encoded in pre-commits code base for like, you know, managing merge conflicts, resolution, uh, linter running. Like that, that one's a common a common problem when working with other Git frameworks. Like they're the naive approach is just run against everything in the merge conflict, which most of the times isn't the code that you touch. You don't you don't care about that other file that someone else introduced to linter, and you're really concerned with you know the files that conflicted, the files that I touched. Um, Another another thing that it deals with that's kind of tricky is um, <laughs> applying patches to partially staged uh, commits. Like you you want to make sure that you're only linting the stuff that's about to be checked in, and not the stuff that's not going to be checked in. So you you can have both false positives and false negatives based on those unstaged contents. And pre-commit is careful to you know stash those changes out and only check the ones that are about to be checked in. Of course, you end up in a whole different set of <laughs> complicated problems because, well, what if the stash then conflicts with the changes that were made? And like, there's there's you know clever roll forward and roll back uh, cases for those. Wow, that sounds complicated. I'm glad you came up with it instead of me. <laughs> I've learned so much about you know Git and different programming languages, package managers, and how to bootstrap all these things from from nothing and like. Um, I found you know close to ten or twenty bugs in Git so far, just from the crazy edge cases that have come up as part of this project. Like I've learned a ton building this, and there's there's a lot of knowledge that's encoded in the tool. This episode is sponsored by PyCharm. I write a lot of code. PyCharm saves tons of time there helping with code hints and being able to quickly jump to any file or any function super fast. And tests, of course, great for writing and running tests. 
but I also write a lot of markdown files in PyCharm. I love the preview pane when I need it, but what I really love is that PyCharm automatically turns on a grammar and spell checker for markdown files. This isn't just a convenience or an ego thing. PyCharm is helping me communicate more effectively. Thank you, PyCharm. Avoiding miscommunication saves tons of time. Go to testandcode.com slash PyCharm, try it out, and see where PyCharm saves you time. So a lot of people will probably run this uh, tied to some Git events, though, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and from the, from its name, uh, the, the yeah. first one you thought of was pre-commit. Uh, but there's mm-hmm. other places you can tie in code. Where can you? Where can I run code in different parts of my? Yeah, workflow? so I think there's something like eight or ten uh, Git hooks that are configured right now, and there are some that have not been implemented yet. It's really been, you know, if somebody has a use case for this, they'll come along and, and implement that additional Git hook. Um, okay. And for the 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 most popular ones are pre pre commit, of course. Uh, there's also pre-push, which runs as you're pushing a branch. There are There is commit message and prepare commit message, which are fired when you're making the message for a commit. So it allows you to you know, make sure your ticket number's in there, or auto-format the ticket it in, uh, or things like that, or you know, enforce your messaging style, you know, declarative sentences, blah, blah, blah. You can, um, you can run linters and stuff off of, on your messages? Yep, yeah. It's oh, actually... Cool pretty popular i find it really annoying but it's it's pretty popular people do it um what else is there there's there's some for like repository repository states so like there's post checkout which runs after you switch branches or after you you know merge merge a particular change or do something like that uh which people often use to you know generate or synchronize a generated file in the workspace or like make sure that you know uh IDE metadata is up to date or stuff like that. Um what are the other ones? <laughs> Let me just look at the docs really quickly. <laughs> I mostly just use the pre-commit stage and don't really worry about the rest of them, but um other people use the rest of them. Okay, so there's commit, there's merge commit, which happens during merge. We talked about push, talked about prepare commit message, commit message, we talked about post checkout. Oh, post commit. So there's there is <laughs> Despite the tool being called pre-commit, there is a post-commit hook that is also supported. Uh, post-commit, you can't really do any validation, but again, you could do, you could generate metadata or do whatever you need to do afterwards. Hmm. Um, there's also post-merge, and then there's a special stage called manual, which allows you to invoke pre-commit. Uh, you know, invoke a tool that doesn't run at any Git stage, but you might use it as a one-off, one-off uh, execution. Um, and that's that's where pre-commit becomes more of an execution engine and less of like a, a Git hooks tool. Well, that's actually going to be my next question. Can I, if I just have like, like, this is, it sounds interesting to me. So there's times mm-hmm. where like in a post commit or maybe a post merge or something like that, or um, mm-hmm. um, where it might make sense to me to, to, to kick off like a notification message or something to people. Mm-hmm. Can I write my own tool and hook it into pre-commit then? Yep, absolutely. So uh, there's, there's you know, there's the classical repository-based tooling where you would set up a Git repository, write an executable, write a little pre-commit hooks.yaml file that, you know, pr- says I provide this hook. Uh, and then you can plug that in into your consuming repository. So this allows you to have like a reusable tool. If it's a one-off tool, it makes 
probably makes more sense to write that code directly in the repository that you're worried about and use a local uh, hook to reference that. But yeah, anyone can write their own set of hooks, uh, basically just providing the, the necessary metadata to make that happen. And I can mix and match, match in the configuration. I can have some some yep. tools that are Git-based Git hooks and or tools, and then others that are just uh, my own and stuff. Yep. Yeah, you can, you can, and you can mix and match what hooks you're targeting as well. So you can have your pre-command and pre-push hooks live side by side. You can have commit message hooks configured directly as well. Um, and pre-commit smart about finding just the ones that satisfy that particular stage and running them. Now for Python projects, uh, let, let's, let's say I want to try this out on a project <laughs> and I just, you know, I've listened to this episode and and it's it's kind of I kind of understand what's going on, but I don't I don't mm-hmm. know the formatting or anything. Is there a good bootstrap way to just like hook up a couple couple of these tools to my project and try it out? Yeah, there's a there's a quick start guide on precommit.com. That's pre-commit.com. The other website is owned by some weird construction site that I've been trying to ping the owner about for a while and pay them good money to take it, but we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, but yeah, there's a quick start guide on precommit.com, which walks you through setting up a basic precommit configuration that uh, just, you know, this, this particular configuration is very simple. It includes black and some white space fixers, and it guides you through, you know, setting up the, the, the basis to get started. Uh, what I would actually recommend is finding another repository, which already configures precommit, figure out what tools they're using and you know, copy paste their config. There's also a, a list of supported hooks on the Precommit website as well, which is basically just a large catalog of things that you might want to use. Um, for Python projects, what I recommend is kind of uh, three, three or four tools. One, an import sorter, so either iSource or reorder Python imports. Um, a code formatter, uh, things like Black, AutoPep8, or YAPF, uh, and a checker, you know, Flake8 usually. Uh, and you can also, you know, add, layer in your white space checkers, your YAML checkers, JSON checkers, whatever, whatever you want to do. Um, but that's usually what I recommend for, for getting started. And if you want to look at any one of my repositories, they are all configured, uh, with pre-commit and have a whole bunch of other related tools as well. So like one, one example is, uh, high upgrade, which is a tool which takes, you know, old syntax and upgrades it to newer, nicer syntax. So for instance, like uh, it'll take dot .format calls and upgrade them to f-strings if you've told PyUpgrade that I want Python 3.6 plus, for instance. Um, or it'll take like um, for loops that can be converted into yield froms, uh, things things like that. Okay, well, let's drop, I, I just, I picked a bad example, I think, because I thought, well, it's just I know that uh, Pytest uses pre-commit. Let's see what theirs is, and it's a little theirs overwhelming. Kind of complicated. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it it is kind of neat. It has some of the common ones, but then it also has some some local tooling. Um, they have some local hooks. So yeah, so we've set up an RST linter because I'm bad. I'm terrible at writing RST. I don't know about you, but I find it really really hard to write correctly. Uh, we also have some stuff that makes sure that the change logs are in a good format. Um, I, it was, again, this is a me problem. I would typo the file names pretty often and like that would cause them to not end up in the release. And so we, we made a little filter to make sure that you match the exact file name format and we end up in the right place. Uh, we're also deprecating some internal stuff. So like PyLib, we're trying to excise from the code base. And so we're 
we're working through making sure that that doesn't exist anywhere. Um, and those, those are kind of our special one-off, um, okay. things there. So where's a different example that might be easier? Mm, pre-commit has a, has a very straightforward. So if I just look, look at GitHub pre-commit. Yep. Pre-commit, pre-commit. Um, I guess it has a few things that you wouldn't necessarily use in another project. Like the first, the first pre-commit hook was actually pre-commit itself. <laughs> so a little self-referential, but um, so it ref- it does the self-reference there. So maybe maybe hmm. maybe pre-commit slash pre-commit hooks is the is a good uh, starting point because that's a that's a very you know straightforward one. Um, it of course hooks. encodes my particular preferences for style, which may not be in line with with yours and so like you know feel free to swap out whatever tools you want like i prefer auto pepe over black personally um i also use well i guess my black equivalent is called ad trailing comma which existed several years before black and you know encodes a very particular calling construct but it doesn't do all the other stuff that black does yeah okay so i i had i had a relationship with black (laughs) (laughs) no my first reaction is I think I like almost everything it's doing, but it's the almost part that that caught me. And I I particularly kind of like single quoted strings instead of the double Same. quotes. But <laughs> it really wasn't a it really wasn't a mountain that I really wanted to battle for. So yeah, um, you know, I but, usually find that like I, I think black is an overwhelming overwhelmingly good thing for the community. Um, I don't use it myself because I I don't like some of the minor things, but I think the the goal of eliminating conversations around style preference yeah. is great. It saves well, it's it's the the jury's still out on whether it saves time because it it should save time by avoiding these conversations. Of course, it seems to trigger more conversations about like, well, I don't like black, so we should use something <laughs> else, and then like that that whole rabbit hole. Um, Okay, but so I think like let's talk about your tools though. So Auto Pepe you use instead of mm-hmm. Black. My concern would be is Auto Pepe, is Auto Pepe maintained as well as Black is? So is there decent maintenance on Auto Pepe? Yep. Yeah, I know the I know the maintainer of Auto Pepe. Okay. Um, they're very good about keeping things up to date. That said, Auto Pepe does a lot less than Black. It is mostly responses to uh, error codes that PyCode style emits. Um, okay. And so like. And unless it's an error in the PyCode style tool, AutoPep8 tends to avoid, you know, changing your code. But that might be a good starting point. So to start with AutoPep8 on a, like a, a project that's already existing, that would be fairly uh, non-political to add that mm-hmm. to, to to something. And then the yeah, like usually when I talk about adoption of Flake Eight, my recommendation is like run Auto Pep Eight on your code base just just to start with because it's going to save you a lot of time worrying about individual you know lint rules. It'll solve like eighty percent of them for you. Okay. And then um, what's the what's the import sorter you use? I uh, <laughs> I wrote my own import sorter called Reorder Python Imports. Um, That's a this long was, name, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like <laughs> I, I like. Um, you know, non non silly names. I tend to prefer like this is what it does. All of course, pre-commit is a terrible name, so I'm I'm not exactly uh, perfect about it. Um, okay. But reorder Python imports was written mostly with pre-commit in mind. the The original idea was that it would notice the structure of your repository and know which things are you know system system third party and first party imports. Um, and at the time, I want to say iSort was was GPL'd, so I didn't want to. Uh, 
I I didn't want to contribute to it because I wouldn't have been able to use it at work. So I wrote my my own clean room, um, unrelated implementation uh, of Fab. Okay, but iSort's another common one, though, right? Yep. iSort is another import sorter. Um, it has a lot of configuration options, so it's 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 a very configurable import sorter. Um, you can pick a number of different styles, a number number of different options for it, um, and at the time, it didn't support discovering the structure of your repository, so it didn't really know what was first party versus not. So you had to manually configure all that. Um, but the latest version of iSort now does essentially the same work that Reorder Python imports does. So it it figures out your repository structure and can order things you know, properly. Um, I actually funny funny coincidence. I actually work with um, the maintainer of iSort at at Stripe. <laughs> <laughs> So do you like ever, you know, battle to have battles on this? I mean, no. Okay. <laughs> like I, I use my own thing. He uses his own thing. Um, we did talk a little bit about like some of the strategies there, and like, like my my initial reason for writing Reorder Python imports was due to licensing. You know, I sort of is actually re licensed since since that happened. So uh, <laughs> a lot of my original reasons for for forking off my own project are, I guess, no longer. No longer super relevant. Um, Okay, one of the things is the configuration. I can use iSort without any configuration also, right? You can, however, it won't necessarily play nicely with the rest of your tools. So, like, iSort out of the box doesn't play nicely with Black. Um, Reorder Python Imports does. Um, I don't know of any incompatible tools with it at the moment, other than iSort. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, that's a benefit. And then uh, um, Checkers... You you're using Flake Eight, is that right? Yep, I'm using Flake Eight. I'm also using MyPy, which is a uh, type checker, uh, and I'm using a bunch of one-off checkers. So like, I have a um, a JSON checker. I have a um, a checker for large files. I have a checker for YAML. I have a checker for checking in debug statements. So how many times have you shipped an import PDB or a breakpoint to prod? This will check you know prevent that from happening. Um, I also have a thing that enforces a naming convention on my tests. Um, I have a few Ooh, fixers. Neat. What's that called? Uh, this one is called Name Tests Test. Again, like my <laughs> my <laughs> my very convenient naming of of tools. Uh, and that one comes from Precommit hooks directly. So if you use Precommit Precommit okay. hooks, you'll have that one. Um, but it enforces like you can you can either force having test at the beginning or having test at the end of your file names. Um, I prefer test at the end because then tap completion works. But teach their own. <laughs> There you, was, write, you write the name test at the end of the thing? Yeah. Well, otherwise, like, I'm in a directory, and I, I go to type, like, the module name, and it's, oh, wait, it starts with test. And I have to backspace, type test, press tab twice, then type the module name. I find that really annoying. Okay. <clears throat> um, yeah, personal well, references, the, the... right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's all good. It's it's interesting. And I, I think it's neat that... I. I, I definitely want to grab some of those because we have a, a few JSON files that we use for um, uh, various reasons during testing, and we check them into the mm-hmm. um, to get. And... Yeah, the number of times we broke in prod from like shipping a bad YAML file uh, at, at Yelp was was way too high, so we added a bunch of a bunch of these hooks to like validate YAML syntax before deploying. Now, one of the concerns might be, if, let's say I'm. Uh, running, I'm running this stuff a lot. Like people are hitting, hitting this. You know, a team is hitting this a lot. Mm-hmm. Is are all the, is there any caching going on? Yep. 
Primo cash pervert. Well, it's actually a complicated caching scheme because uh, it's really hard to get correct, but it uses, I think, a five tuple of, of things. So the repository itself, the version it's at, the language it's using, the language version it's using, and any additional dependencies that you're pulling along into that. Um, and it'll cache that across uh, across a machine. So if you're on a single machine, uh, well, I guess it'll cache it per user on that machine. So um, if you're using check YAML from from uh, pre-commit pre-commit hooks, you'll have you know one version of that on your host uh, per version. And it's it's pretty good about deduplicating. And my recommendation is to just continually auto update to the latest version, which will minimize your cache size uh, because everything will be on the latest. How do I auto? What do you mean by that? Precommit has a convenient command for upgrading the versions of everything. So you can run precommit auto update, and it'll just take the versions that you've encoded into your config file and bump those to the latest tag. Okay, but right, and then one of the other things is so I install precommit, I um, configure it with something, I co copy somebody's other. YAML file, mm -hmm. um, which I don't think anybody actually writes YAML. I think everybody <laughs> copies YAML from somewhere else. Um, <laughs> yeah. Human writable, aka human copy pasteable. <laughs> um, okay, then then, but I don't. But normally, like let's say I'm, I ha hook it up to um, uh, to commit a commit hook, for instance, mm -hmm. or uh, or push hook. Um, it's only going to run on stuff that changed, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So I. I really want to run it once at least against everything. Yep. So there's a pre-commit run dash dash all files, which I recommend whenever adding or removing a tool. Okay. And that's it. That's uh, listed in the, the uh, quick start. Yep. Well. That's, so, uh, that's the optional last step of the quick start, which is to uh, <laughs> you know, run it, run it against your existing code and make sure that you're, you're already adhering to it. And I actually like to run, I like to hook up a handful of tools that I don't really need. Mm -hmm. Um, and some that I do, some that I don't, and then so that I can run this whenever I want to, when things are not going well during my work day, and I can run this, and I go, well, this works still. Mm -hmm. You can also run pre-commit through talks, which works works well as well. So there's, um, you know, another you can get talks to run pre-commit. Yep. Okay. Well, I, I guess you could, right? It just it just calls it, right? Yep. Um, so. Yeah, so I, I often before pre-commit CI, which we haven't got to yet, before pre-commit CI, I would run you know, a, a talks job that ran pre-commit run dash dash all files um, and dash dash show diff on failure as well, because that would be easier to debug in CI. Um, but yeah, that's that's how I used to do it. Let's do pre-commit CI. We'll sure. Let's, what's this? So the idea behind pre-commit CI is it takes all of the good parts of pre-commit. So, you know, installing and running tools and, uh, you know, all, all that part and builds a CI system around it. Um, so previously, I would run pre-commit in, in talks in CI, and you know it would tell me a pass-fail about whether things uh, adhered to code style correctly. Uh, Wait, but, I got to back up a little bit. Why do yeah. I need that? If I'm, if I'm running it before I commit it, why would, how, would, how could it break in the CI server? So Git hooks are all optional opt-in client-side hooks. So there's nothing that actually enforces that all of your users are using this. And especially when you're working with open source projects, you don't really expect you don't really expect a drive-by contributor to set up all of your developer tooling. Like, you know, they 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 might not even run the tests. They might not even write any tests. They might not run the the linters or, or code formatters. They might just you know commit their change from the GitHub UI and move on with their with their life. Um, and so pre-commit CI is is kind of aimed at 
two types of users. One is like, you know, ensuring that in every case the code base still adheres to all the style and to the set of individuals that don't run the developer tooling that would do this this stuff for you. Um, okay. And it's kind of just like a, a an actual gating mechanism to make sure your code stays up to up to style. There are also situations where like resolving merge conflicts, you'd run no verify sometimes, or like uh, there's there's some cases where you would intentionally avoid as part of your workflow the the uh, developer tooling. I mean, another one is like you're on a work in progress branch and you're just trying to commit something. You don't really care about whether it adheres to style. Uh, but when you finally go to integrate that branch, you want to make sure that it that it does adhere to style. So there's cases where you wouldn't run the tools. Uh, but Pregment CI is you know it basically takes what I used to run in talks in in you know GitHub Actions or Azure Pipelines or whatever and builds an app around that. Um, and it also provides some much nicer things than that. So if your code was not formatted properly, uh, which happens a surprising amount in open source, uh, Pregament CI will take that and, and just commit it directly to your pull request. So it'll auto fix a pull request that's not formatted properly. It also is, you know, really good. I talked about that cache before. It's really good about sharing that cache across all of the users so that you can get really, really fast runs uh, just because someone else uses that tool. Whereas if you're using a, a, oops, sorry about that. If you're using a kind of classical CI tool, you would manage caches per, uh, per repository and you wouldn't get to share stuff. And like, um, you would, you know, it would be way slower and, and way more work and way more data storage to maintain that. So what Precommit CI does is it shares those environments across all users. So it's, it's much, much faster. Um, also, it's it's optimized for this specific workflow, so it can do a lot of stuff that makes you know makes running much speedier. So it, the the average like the average time to start is under under two seconds for uh, pre-commit CI, whereas with like GitHub Actions, it's like five or six seconds, and like you know GitLab CI, it's three minutes or something ridiculous. Travis CI, it's it's a minute or so. Um, but Pregment CI can be very, very quick about this. Sometimes the so turnarounds I've seen I've seen runs where I push a pull request and Pregment CI completes before GitHub Actions even starts. So if I've got if I've got a project that has a like a pre-commit YAML or something, mm-hmm. do I need to set up a different one? Nope. It works completely off of your existing pre-commit config. So you need you need zero configuration to get started. Uh, you really just set up the GitHub app, point it at your repository, and it does the rest. There are some CI-specific configurations that you can set up if you need to make changes, although the default should be reasonable for, for most use cases. Okay, but well, I'm still like being dense. Um, but if, let's say I've just set up hooks to go to my pre-commit mm-hmm. as a pre-commit hit or, or pre-push hook. Yep. Those two events aren't happening on CI. I'm doing merges right. and stuff. So currently pre-commit assumes... Um, so pre-commit by default, uh, when you run pre-commit run, it assumes the pre-commit stage and CI basically takes that same approach as well. So anything that you've hooked up for the pre-commit stage will run in CI. Um, okay. Okay. Good. That's, it what, essentially, that's what I really want. So. Yeah. It essentially runs pre-commit run dash dash all files. That's, I mean, it's a little bit different behind the scenes, but that's, that's essentially what it does. Okay. So it's going to catch everything and it's good. And then does it report to the person that tried to commit? 
So what it does is it, uh, I mean, it'll report a GitHub status. So you'll your pull requests will be green or red based on that. Um, but it'll also push to the branch if it needs to auto fix it. So if if there's a change that needs to be made from a code format or whatever, it'll just auto fix the pull request for you. Okay. So um, does it? So uh, again, I'm sorry, I'm being a little no, it's fine. Confused. <sighs> Somebody does a pull request. Mm-hmm. Is it? Does it run on the pull request branch then, or? So okay. it merges the pull request branch with the main repository and checks that. Um, okay. Yeah, because you your want, your branch right? might be out of date. Okay. And GitHub does that merge automatically for you. So you, I just I just wait for that merge to be successful, and then pre-commit CI will run across that. Okay, and so let's say somebody does something that breaks that, and will the so the the person trying to do the merge request will they be they can check it to see if it mm-hmm. finished or something. Okay. Yep. Yeah. The other thing that pre-commit CI does, uh, we mentioned earlier that you encode the versions of tools in a file, and there's a there's a developer tool to run pre-commit auto update and and you know upgrade those versions to the latest. Um, pre-commit CI will run a periodic task that does that auto updating for you, similar to like a depend a bot or something, and it'll send you a currently weekly pull request to make sure those are up to date. Um, oh, it nice. actually ran. I think 30 minutes ago. So I need to, I need to, well, in a bit, I'll make sure that that, that uh, my phone going off isn't a page for it erroring, but I'm pretty sure, pretty sure it was a text message. So I should be fine. Yeah. I think we're good. Do you need to go? No, I think I'm fine. Okay. <laughs> Worst case, well, like there isn't an SLA. So within like 15 minutes, I'll check on it anyway. Uh, and I can always rerun any failed runs. So that's easy. How do people find pre-commit CI? So they can go to pre-commit.ci. Kind of okay. fancy international domain. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. Um, and then I can run it against any repo. So it currently only supports GitHub. Uh, there's plan to add other. There are plans to add other uh, version control providers in the future. But for now, the 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 first version is entirely GitHub. And right now, it is only public repositories. Um, I'm currently working with okay. GitHub to enable a paid version that would work on private repositories. Okay. But soon, but, maybe by the time the podcast comes out, it'll be available. Well, I hope so. Cause um, yeah, I really want, I want this to be, I, I can't imagine not running this. It just makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's, it's also stupid easy to set up. It's, you know, like you're already using pre-commit just, you might as well enable pre-commit CI. Okay. So let's say I do, but then I like, for some reason don't want to anymore. Can mm-hmm. I, yeah, you can just uninstall up? the app and then, um, that's done through. Okay. Uh, there's a there's a little manage repositories button on Precommit CI, which will take you to GitHub to add or remove um, repositories. Okay. Yeah, and this is a lot of this is, is stems around. Um, I I mean, it's making sure your code's correct, but also mm-hmm. uh, things like style and you broke the tests and or you broke you know have that that isn't covered by this, but the all the you know you, you did you did something wrong. It's mm-hmm. way easier to get a computer to tell you you did something <laughs> wrong than a person. I mean, emotionally. Don't you think? Yeah. Let me read the tag, the tagline um, that someone in my Twitch chat actually came up with that I, I really like, and I think it encapsulates this idea perfectly. Um, and it's that developers spend a fair chunk of time during their development flow on fixing relatively trivial problems in their code. Precommit CI both enforces that these issues are discovered, which is opt-in for each developer's workflow via Precommit, 
Vint also fixes the issues automatically, letting developers focus their time on more valuable problems. Wow, nice copy. Yeah, I really, I really like that. And like the the big selling point that I've used when talking about this tool, both pre-commit and pre-commit CI, is like you can spend your time in a code review nitpicking white space and commas and you know operator positioning and all that other stuff, or you can set up a computer which is very, very good at identifying these things and spend more of your time in code review focusing on architectural and design problems instead of nitpicking style. Um, and I think that's like the the big selling point of Linter's code formatters and like this entire, you know, genre of tools. Yeah. Yeah. And also just, I mean, it just is pleasant. I mean, I've had, I've had style guides that are like not, there's, there's no way you could write a tool to, or maybe there is a way to write a tool for it, but they're so specific to a mm-hmm. company and just have, it's actually refreshing in the Python world to have a fairly limited number of options of uh of of essentially most people don't care just tell me how you want me to style the code and i'll do it Mm -hmm. and um and then actually some of the defaults that we've chosen in python are just pleasant to use anyway like snake case and stuff Mm -hmm. um in the uh and it just and then the, like there's like 10% of us that actually care about code style and we all have our own style and it just doesn't make sense for all of us to be writing our own style guides so for sure for sure know. yeah the thing that i often bring up in code reviews like if if i if i encounter you know someone else or or myself reaching towards like oh well this could be you know if you adjusted the the spacing or something like if i if i'm ever like even starting thinking about that thought i've instead shifted to saying like how can we write an automated tool to enforce this style. And if we, if we can't, then I just don't even mention it at all. If it's not, if it's not important to the architecture of the change, it's not worth my time or the author's time for, for bringing up something like that. Okay. I've got one. I'm making this long, but I actually, I am part of the 10% that cares about this. Um, (laughs) I am too. (laughs) One of the things that like, that violates all of these style guides Mm-hmm. that I still do sometimes and I don't really know how to turn off um the reformatters from doing mm-hmm. it is let's say I've got like what is essentially um a com a bunch of like maybe a list of lists or something mm-hmm. and mm, it really is easier to read if I align all the commas up so that um so that it, it like looks like a table. Yep. Um, but that violates all these black and all that stuff. So is there a solution to this or should I just stop liking to make things tables? Yeah, I don't have a good solution for that. Um, okay. I also understand the goal, the, the, the like idea of lining stuff up and it does look nice when it's, when it's manually formatted that way. Um, I have not found a good combination of things that allow something like this. I mean, with black, you can do format off, but that doesn't prevent your linter from saying, Oh, your white space is messed up. Um, I think I'm actually kind of pondering some ideas in Flakeate to enable something like this, uh, which would allow, it would allow a plugin to filter error codes in the output such that you could, you know, say, you know, inside format blocks, ignore white space based change or format off blocks. You could ignore white space uh, based things. And so that would give you a way to, uh, you know, opt into that sort of idea. But I don't have any solutions today. Okay. Well, I mean, it's not a common thing. It's not like all over the place. I'm I'm violating this. It's just 
and it's and it's not just because I think it looks nicer. It's really intended to minimize human error. Yeah, because, it's a maintainability yeah. Yeah, improvement. I, I agree with that, so, yeah. Another thing that you could like, do is sequester it to a particular file. So if you have like a data tables file or whatever, I mean, that's probably a poor name for a file, but uh, you could <laughs> you could put your particular thing in a particular file and both pre-commit and flake eight have uh, exclusion options. So you could say like, you know, uh, in, in flake eight or in pre-commit, you would just say exclude and then it wouldn't run the particular tool at that. Uh, in flake eight, you can use per file ignores to ignore particular error codes in particular files. So if you have like, one file that violates one rule that you want to enforce everywhere else, but not in this file, you can turn it off uh, on a on a per file basis. Um, you can also, you know, if it's a one line thing, you can use no QA, but you know, putting no QA on twenty lines is maybe not not the yeah. best. Okay, thanks a ton for talking about this. Um, yeah. I, again, so people want to check out pre-commit dot pre, normal pre-commit. It's at <laughs> pre-commit.com mm-hmm. and pre-commit.ci is your CI tool. And then, uh, and then people can just look Google all the other stuff, Python, mm-hmm. Flake Eight, stuff like that. Yeah, sounds great. All right. Well, thanks a lot for joining the show, and I hope you have a great day. Yeah, thanks for having me on, and I hope your day is great as well. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Anthony, for all you do for the Python community, for awesome tools, and for coming on the show. Thank you, Patreon supporters. Join them at testandcode.com slash support. Thank you, ConfigCat, for sponsoring. Check them out at configcat.com. Thank you, PyCharm. Check them out at testandcode.com slash PyCharm. Those links, of course, are in the show notes at testandcode.com slash 157. That's all for now. Now go out and lint something. <laughs>